Abrahamic covenant was this. To Abraham, I'm going to give you land, a people, and redemption. So the question is, is God a God who keeps His promises? Is He a God who will keep His promise to Abraham? Give Him land, give Him people, and give Him redemption. We've been journeying through Genesis verse by verse. We've almost made it all the way to the end. Church, next week is it. Genesis is over with. Um, It's been a good journey. And who's going to wrap it up for us? The none other, the Johnny Eubanks, once again. Uh... As you can see, basically me and Tyler are trying to get out of this whole gig and make Johnny the pastor. Uh, but no, Johnny's going to wrap it up for us. And then after that, you just cannot end Genesis without moving straight into Exodus. You just have to. Because the story really ties together. But nonetheless, we've been going through Genesis. We've been in Abraham. We've been looking at this promise. <clears throat> and so the question is, is a God who's going to give Abraham land, people, and a blessing? It, like, is God trustworthy? <clears throat> Oddly enough, this is the premise of the new Thor movie. There you go once again. If you haven't seen the Thor movie, I've lost you. If you have seen the Thor movie, that's the premise of this new movie. Just for fun, how many of y'all have seen the movie? Okay. There's about 15 of us nerds in here. Okay. I love it. I, I've, I've loved it. But the whole point of the, of the new Thor movie is you cannot trust any God. That's the thing of the whole movie. I won't spoil it if you haven't seen it yet, but that's the, the point. You can't trust a God. Well, that's the question. Can we trust God? And here's what God has done with four generations, which I think is a reason to believe we can definitely trust Him with Abraham. There's what we've been through, church. <laughs> In fun form, if you want to take a snapshot, that's what we've journeyed through for the past, gosh almighty, six months of all that God has done to fulfill His promise to be a God who will give a people a blessing and land. These Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph is, is where we've just kind of journeyed through. <clears throat> and all is well. Uh, Jacob has made it back to the motherland. We, we learned that last week. All is well. <clears throat> and so what is going to happen in this last chunk of text or these last movements that we move through is we're going to see God continuing to fill His promise, but we're going to see a bigger theme emerge that rolls all the way through Scripture, and that is just the theme of redemption. Um, It's topology, if you will. Uh, The point I've told you several times is Abraham is not about Abraham. It's about God. Isaac is not about Isaac. Jacob is not about Jacob. We can't read these stories in isolation. There's a bigger theme going on pointing to a true and better Abraham to come. A true and better Isaac, a true and better Jacob, a true and better Joseph. It's just all the Bible is pointing. So, this is why we don't take fun stories in the Old Testament and make them topical to today. There's topics that come out of it, but that's not the intent of the author with the Bible. There's a grand narrative unfolding, this grand narrative of a God who can be trusted that really will redeem His people. It's the big picture. It's like Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel. You guys have all seen the picture of where, where God and Adam are reaching out and touching one another, right? And it's, it's, y'all have seen this, right? They're, you know, he's naked, okay? And God has the big flowing robe and angels behind him and all that kind of stuff. And, and they're touching one another. That's the, the big picture. But if you zoom in, there's, there's more going on. And if you look, and some of y'all will do this on your phone, like I'm just, this is what you'll do for the rest of the day today. You're going to look at this picture. 
If you look at the picture, you'll find out that the robe behind God is actually a human brain. It's in the exact same shape of a human brain. So you see this picture, and then he's portraying something that's a whole deeper meaning about intellect and wisdom and knowledge and all this kind of stuff. Now you're curious and you don't want to pick your phone up because you're like, is that true? Is that not true? Yes, it is true. God's doing all kind of things that we've seen, but He's doing something different through this, and it's this theme of redemption. Man, I think it's going to bless your souls today if God is gracious to us. Bottom line, there's just no wasted moments in life. There's none. Not a one wasted moment. And so redemption song through Jacob's offspring as we wrap up and get to the penultimate message before we close out Genesis. God be gracious to us. Here we go. Chapter 37, y'all ready? Chapter 37, we're going to make it through, believe it or not, 12 chapters today. Y'all just kind of (laughs) burned up a little bit. All right, here we go. 12 chapters. Let's roll through it. Genesis chapter 37. Here's what's happening in this chapter. Jacob's favorite son through Rachel is Joseph. So much so that he's given a coat of many colors. We've made it from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Jacob got the tribe back to Israel. Now we're looking at Jacob's favorite son, Joseph. He's given this coat of many colors. Um, His son then dreams these dreams. And these dreams are all of his brothers are bowing to him. Side note, if you have that dream, probably shouldn't tell your brothers that dream. But he does nonetheless. He tells them the dream. And ultimately he's saying, I'm going to be the next patriarch. It's going to be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then me. They don't want to hear that, okay? So they decide to kill him. We would all think that, hey, that's probably a pretty extreme punishment for your brother talking about his dream, right? But y'all have been journeying with this family. Not so odd for this family. They want to kill each other left and right, okay? So this is what happens. We go, of course they want to kill him. It's kind of the continued narrative. And so what they do is they end up not killing him, but they sell him into slavery um, to an Egyptian officer. And then his brothers dip that colored coat in blood, take it back to their father and say, Hey, lions, tigers, bears, oh my, have killed him. And so this is kind of where we end up in chapter 37. All that to say this, the text is pushing us to think about redemption and go, Okay, is God with his children when earthly relationships crumble? Because that doesn't seem like God is still with him in this moment. Maybe you've had that situation in life where earthly relationships around you are crumbling right and left. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's coworkers. Maybe it's just a perceived notion off of social media. And maybe you're asking the question, is, is God with, like, is he still with me even in the midst of that chaos? And the text should drive us to that. Chapter 38. We move on into chapter 38. And it's a side note from Joseph, but it goes to another son that Jacob has. It's Judah. This is his second favorite son. This is the son of Leah. So they have three kids. Um, His his son Judah has three kids. I'm going to leave this to the community groups, and I'm going to offer up Tyler's services. If you would like any more information on this text, please call Tyler this week. It's pretty fascinating. Judah has three kids. The first of his kids is killed by God because he's wicked, which leaves him with a daughter-in-law that is a widow named Tamar. There's a redemption narrative throughout the text where the younger brother then takes 
the widowed wives bears children with her, takes her as a wife, and it's called the kinsman redeemer. All right. So the second child does not want to be the kinsman redeemer. However, he wants to have all of the the fun that goes along with that. Okay, we'll just leave it there. So the text says that he wastes his seed on the ground um, and God kills him for it. Death number two. All right. Again, Tyler LaFoy is your guy who can answer all the questions about all of this. Then the third child, who's too young to be the Redeemer, um, grows up and is still not given to Tamar to be the Redeemer. So, Judah, the dad, goes on a trip. Tamar concocts this whole nutty plan um, that the younger son will indeed get her pregnant. She is going to be redeemed. And if you know the end of the story, what ends up happening is she does not seduce the youngest child. She actually seduces who? The dad. Judah impregnates his daughter-in-law by dressing up as a prostitute. Okay? The Bible, you can't make up better narrative than the Scriptures, church. So this is all going on. She dresses as a prostitute. She does this. She, 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 she does indeed get pregnant by her own father-in-law. Three months later, she's pregnant. Uh, Judah declares that she must be burned. She's got to be burned. She's hidden as this prostitute. He doesn't know that it was her. But in the whole act, <clears throat> instead of payment to go back and get her some goats to pay her for her prostitute deeds, he leaves his ring and his staff. She keeps this. Three months later, when she pops us pregnant, he says, she's got to be killed. She's, she's an infidel. All of a sudden, guess what she does? Whose ring and staff is this? And daddy is caught. It's one of the grandest uh-oh moments of all uh-oh moments. But this theme of redemption then floods in and goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is God still going to be with his children in blatant, exposed sin? Maybe you're wondering that. Your sin is before you. Whatever it is, that pet sin that nobody knows about. And it's just, all of a sudden it's being exposed in your heart. And it might be exposed out for the world to see. And your question may be, is God still going to be with me? Even in the midst of my gross, blatant sin. You feel this theme welling up? Keep going. Chapter 39. Chapter 39 will be quick. Finally, after all of this... We find that, that Jacob's son Joseph has been um, sold over to this officer. Um, the officer sells him to somebody else. <clears throat> and, and so he ends up there in Egypt. He's back in Egypt. And everything that Joseph touches turns to gold. He is the favorite pool boy, I guess you will, of Potiphar. He's serving well. And also the favorite pool boy of Potiphar's wife. So she gets a gleam in her eye for this young man. She tries to seduce him. So Joseph finds herself being seduced now by Potiphar's wife. He runs away. She grabs his coat. The brother should just not wear coats anymore. (laughs) It's just kind of a bad thing for him. She grabs his coat as he's running out. She lies about it. He gets thrown into prison. And even in prison, everything he touches starts turning to gold. He can't do any wrong. And so the question would be, When crisis piles on me, does God still love me? And maybe you're in that moment in life. Crisis is piling on you left and right. And you're wondering, could I really be experiencing all these crises if God loves me? If He's for me? 
Like it's redemption song still singing over me when the whole world feels like a bag of you know what? Could that be real? The tension continues to build. We move to chapter 40. <clears throat> chapter 40, as Joseph is in prison, he gets met with Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. They're thrown into prison. We don't know why they're thrown into prison, but basically a baker is one who bakes, and a cupbearer is one who would drink before the Pharaoh drank to make sure there was no poison in it. You don't want this job. Of all jobs, you do not want this job because lo and behold, somebody may slip something in there. Boom, and it's not a roofie. It's cyanide. Bam, you're out, okay? So there's all this kind of play going on. So cupbearer, baker, thrown into prison. They have dreams. Joseph interprets those dreams Perfectly, the cupbearer is going to be restored. The baker is going to be executed. But Joseph is left in prison. And the question would be something like this. Is God with his children when life just still seems to be unfair? I mean, the brother did a good thing, right? He interpreted this dream. It came true. Surely he's going to get out of prison. Surely. So the question would be, Why does life have to be unfair? Chapter 41. Pharaoh himself then has dreams of his own. And as he has dreams of his own, the cupbearer remembers, hey, there was this Hebrew boy, Joseph, that could interpret those dreams. And so Joseph knocks him out of the park. It's a business plan. Basically, he interprets, okay, there's going to be seven years of famine and seven years of good. And Pharaoh loves this plan that he gets. And watch what happens to hated, rejected, sold son Joseph. Chapter 41, verse 42. As he interprets this dream, Pharaoh took his signet ring and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and made him second in charge of Egypt, never doubt if the Lord cares for His children. Even when life looks unfair, even when life doesn't make sense, even when crisis piles on, the Lord is still after Joseph in the midst of this moment. So Joseph is given a wife. He then has three kids or more. And all the dreams do come true. There's seven years of abundance. And in those seven years of abundance, Joseph piles up all the silos. Then there's seven years of famine. In the seven years of famine, everybody has to come to Egypt to buy food. Hear that? Everybody has to... Now I'm just thinking about everybody. Clap your hands. Everybody has to come to Egypt. That should sound odd to you if you've been journeying with us through Genesis. So all of this happens and the question would be now, okay, maybe God is with His covenant children, but is He only with His believing children? Is He, is he for more than just His children? Like is it just about Joseph or does this have something to do with Pharaoh and the land and something bigger? Is God doing something bigger through you and your situations than you could have ever dreamed or imagined is the question. That brings up this question. Move on to chapters 42. Now we're going to pair them together. And 43. See all y'all who are nervous about going through all these? Now we're joining these suckers together. Chapter 42 and 43. Joseph's brothers and dad hit famine. And guess what they run out of? Food. They don't have anything. They're back in the motherland, in the homeland, and have no food. They come before Joseph. The guy who had said... You will bow before me. The Lord's given me a dream and you'll bow before me. And they said, you're crazy. We will not do that. 
So much so, we're going to kill you for saying that. Those same people, they come before them and watch this. Guess what kind of posture they have to take before their brother to get food. They have to bow. The Lord will accomplish all of His purposes. And so in this moment, but there's always more to the story, right? He doesn't reveal who He is. He's dressed up in Pharaoh's garb. He looks like an Egyptian. Um, now I'm thinking about the song, Walk Like an Egyptian. But He doesn't reveal Himself. Um, the demand comes, okay, you can have more food if you bring your youngest brother with you next time. The youngest brother being Benjamin. They leave, they have no plans to come back, and they even leave Simeon, their brother, as a pledge, who they plan to leave right there in Egypt. Which we would go, well, that's kind of sinister to leave your brother. Well, they tried to kill the other one, you know, so this is nothing to them. They're just pawing off brothers left and right. So Simeon is left there, and lo and behold, they do run out of food, and they have to bring Benjamin. They bring Benjamin the youngest, and at this moment, Joseph sees his younger brother his true flesh and blood brother face to face, God redeems more than he could have ever dreamed or imagined. And there's a feast. Benjamin is given five times the portion. Um, Joseph is still not revealing who he is, but the question about redemption would be this. Is God capable of accomplishing his purposes? Always. Always, church. Let's keep going. Chapter 44 and 45. He sends them home. He stashes a cup in Benjamin's sack. It's actually a beautiful plan to rescue his brother, I believe. Because the goal is, I'm going to send people after, and whoever has this cup has to come back and stay with me. In other words, he's going to send them off. Benjamin, he knows, has the cup. They're going to come and say, Benjamin, you've got to come back. You stole the cup. He's going to rescue his brothers. And to the rest of the ten brothers, he's going to say, to heck with all y'all. <laughs> y'all can head on back, but flesh and blood shall stay with me. I think it's a beautiful plan. But it does backfire. They get back home. Um, Before they get back home, Judah offers, hey, I'm going to stay instead. Um, Judah being one of his brothers, the promised brother through Leah. And he says this, our father cannot bear to lose his youngest son. This breaks him to the core. He now knows that his father is alive, that his father cares. And here it is, church. Joseph absolutely loses it screams aloud and screams this, I am Joseph. He reveals himself and in this moment, they're dumbfounded, he's dumbfounded. I'm assuming there's a cry, there's a tear shed, one or two that goes on. And here it is, the golden verse, the point of the entire Bible church. Right here in Genesis. You want to know what the point of the entire Bible is? It's right here. This is what you've been coming for. What is God doing at the collision of our sunshine and our rain in life? What's God doing in the midst of moments where we have great joy and then we experience great pain? What is God doing when you have a setback or He gives you a promotion? What is God doing? Here it is, chapter 45, verse 5. Joseph says to them, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. I'm a side note, time out. I just don't think I'd be that gracious. If I'm Pharaoh and second in charge, 
I know it's Nebuchadnezzar and it's not the same person, but I'm probably throwing you in a lion's den. You're probably going to, at, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the whole fire thing, okay? But the Lord had changed his heart. And here's what he says. Don't be upset. For God sent me before you to preserve life. <laughs> God doing more through your chaos than you can ever dream. Verse 6, For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. What a confident place of peace to be. Are you there in life? Are you there? When it doesn't make sense, is your default, God's doing something. Or is your default, woe is me, pity is me, surround myself with people who will pity with me. Or is it, hey, God's doing something. This is what we see in this text. Our God is just never twiddling His thumbs, wondering what's going to happen next. He's just not. Our God's not wasting a moment of earthly pain. He used the pain in Joseph's heart to birth grace. Does your pain in your heart birth anger or does it birth grace? Y'all know I'll be I'll expose myself. I am not the... Like when Paul... Every time I read where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like I feel the opposite. Like I'm the guy who's going, man, I, please don't imitate me. <laughs> because... Anger births in my heart. God uses crisis to birth grace in His heart. What a grand story. But yes, our God does know His covenant children deeply. And He's using your situations more than you could ever dream or imagine. Our God is after the redemption of your heart, but He's also after using your heart to bring about redemption of other people. Redemption is... The whole point of his story. It's the point. And he can write his redemptive story with your life however he chooses, church. However he chooses. And the quicker you learn and embrace that truth, the quicker you'll have that peace that passes all understanding. That's where it comes from. Confident in God's sovereign plan, even when we don't understand. Church, before I call the band back up, there's not one single moment in your life that is meaningless and wasted. Not one single moment. That unexpected move that you had, it's not wasted. It's not meaningless. That lost child that you had, It's not wasted. It's not meaningless. The divorce you had, it's not wasted. It's not meaningless. That sin, if you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. That sin that keeps bashing your soul, that you're ashamed of, that you hate, and and I'm glad that you hate it. God's not wasting that in your life. 
There's not one rogue molecule in the universe of God's creation that he's going, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Nothing. That surprise dollar that you found in your ski jacket. That ski jacket has been in your closet for years. And all of a sudden, there's a $5 bill in it. (laughs) He's not wasting that. That A on the test that you didn't study for? Hey, there's an A. It's the only A I ever got. It was a surprise A. He's not wasting that. That promotion that you got, he's not wasting that. That glorious day that you had with friends and family on the lake, and you finally hit that herpy 360 as you were wakeboarding. Jared, I don't know if that's a real thing. You have to tell me afterwards. He's not wasting that. He's not wasting your pain. He's not wasting your joy. He's not wasting any of it. And Genesis has been screaming this to us. God is using you even when you don't think you're being used. It's the grand story of His redemptive narrative. But not just for you, but for others. From Adam and Eve where we start in Genesis, all the way to whatever John is doing on the Isle of Patmos as he writes Revelation. God is using earthly moments to bring redemption to His heavenly home. Let's close. He tells, bring my father back. Pharaoh gets on board, even sends three men in a truck to move his dad there to Egypt. Chapters 46 and 47, Jacob, Israel, his name has been changed does indeed come to Egypt. You remember when I told you to remember that? How many times in Genesis have the people of God gotten in trouble for going to Egypt? How many times? A lot. They keep going to Egypt, and they get in trouble for it. And now, God uses what used to be a no as a yes. And He comes back to Egypt, and God says, This is my plan. It's mind-blowing. He says this, don't be afraid to go to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. Father and son indeed have an ugly cry moment themselves. Uh, The family becomes shepherds in the land of Goshen. And so important side note, that is situated outside of the promised land. We've been traveling this whole time to get the nation of Israel into the promised land. Y'all remember last week, we almost had a Jesus party. We're like, they made it, they made it. Woo-hoo. Well, guess where they at this week? Right back outside of that sucker. We're so prone to wonder as the song we just sang. Chapters 48 and 49, as we bring it to a close. Jacob, Israel, is about to breathe his last. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's about to breathe his last. He blesses Joseph's sons, and as you would suspect, the older, once again, will serve the younger. I'm going to do my hands like this. You'll have to go read the Bible and see what that means. There's another moment that occurs. And then he blesses and curses his own sons. There's a cursing that occurs. Judah and Joseph outright. Jacob breathes his last, leaving Joseph and Judah to carry on the covenant promise. You made it, church. Give yourselves a hand. Good job. You made it through. (laughs) You made it through. You pressed on through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, slash Judah. And as we wrap it up and the band comes up, Are you okay with letting God be God? Are you okay with that? 
if Genesis has taught us nothing else, it's that we better be a people who's okay with letting God be God. You know why? Because He's going to be God, whether you approve or not. Are you okay with that? Rest assured, God is always working for His glory even when it makes no sense to us. Whether it be politics, the argument that you had on the way to church, that you're hiding behind right now. We didn't have no argument. That argument. Even the gas prices. He's not wasting any of it. And rest assured, He's always working for our good as covenant children. No matter if it's in happiness or horror, he's always working for good. Even in that awkward conversation you had just yesterday via text message, he's working in it. And then finally, rest assured, he's always working towards redemption of his people. That is the grand narrative. Hey, we didn't talk much about Judah and Tamar, did we? That was an awkward story, wasn't it? Can I get an amen? That was an awkward story. Like, some of you are like, no, that's not awkward. It's in the Bible. I'll be, that's an awkward story, church. <laughs> that is an awkward moment. We didn't talk about it much, the accident that occurred, because it wasn't an accident. One more graph. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Judah... Judah through Tamar births Zerah, Perez, through Perez's lineage, Salmon, Boaz, Abed, Jesse, King David, Solomon, and Jesus. Your worst pain may be the thing he's using most for a greater good. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I pray today as we think through life and this grand narrative of redemption that we see that you're God, that you're good, that you're glorious, that you are a God who can take the coal of our lives and turn it into diamonds. You can take our trash and you can make it treasure. You can take our regrets and birth redemption. May we trust in you and may we be okay with you being God in our lives. Restore the joy to many in this room who have lost their joy in salvation. And may sovereignty's theme today bring about a great excitement and a peace in your covenant children. And may as we come to the table in just a second, (laughs) may we come exploding in worship of how all of this pointed to the person and work of Jesus. Let's stand, let's sing, let's worship.